Hello and welcome to this episode of Trash Future Patreon. Uh, mm. As part of season three on the Patreon feed, you're just I'm doing, doing more different voices. Now. You're just we're, we're heading yes. towards the morning zoo trash future confluence, <laughs> where you're listening to trash <laughs> and the future. <laughs> you're listening to right. Riley and the Hog. <laughs> I want nothing more than for Alice's soundboard to have a boy yo yo yoing. I'll do it. that with the gamer horns next week. Mm. Okay, good, excellent. Um, so, uh, but all, all, all joking aside, because it's important to put aside childish things and, uh, mm. become men or in some cases women, <laughs> um, I, uh, wanted to introduce our guest today on the bonus. Uh, this is Rob Larson sitting in with myself, Riley and Alice. And Rob is a professor of economics at Tacoma Community College. Most recently, he has written a book entitled Bit Tyrants, The Political Economy of Silicon Valley. And so we just figured we had to have him on. Mm -hmm. So, Rob, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, our pleasure. Yeah, I've not read Rob's book, but I assume that the thesis of it is that the political economy of Silicon Valley is extremely good. Yeah, it's it's great. It's great. Chapter on how great every company is. It's Mm. it's Mm. no need to look into it. We we just love business. The chapter the chapter on Apple is just like, hey, cool. He did away with buttons. Good. I hated buttons. I look at different phones and like the fun features of different phones. So few people cover today's phones. Mm. So I wrote a book about phones. Yeah. Yeah. You basically mm. wrote the novelization of MacWorld.com. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a really, this is such a cursed joke. It has to have been done already, but Jomni Ive. Just, yeah, just right. a small oh. designer whoops to take buttons off of things. Yeah. Oh, speaking of things that don't have buttons, maybe buy a Trash Future t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah that's right. We're going to do yeah. those up at the front now, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we are. There's instructions right. on how to do that in the description. In the description. God. <laughs> You're listening to Riley and the description. <laughs> uh, that's right. God, I want a boy. Um, anyway. So look, uh, uh, here's a little brief sort of summary of sort because of, I've I've read Bit Tyrants over the last couple of of days, and Bit Tyrants basically should be understood as a kind of warts and all assessment of how the men in charge of the big tech companies, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, uh, uh, and and all of those, managed to get us all so squarely under their thumb, and all the lying, cheating, and stealing they did to do so allegedly. Mm. It also looks at how they attempt to influence politics through aggressive lobbying and astroturfing of political movements. And how much of their lauded innovation is actually just cribbing uh, publicly funded R&D to enjoy private benefits. Now, the thing is, a lot of this is going to sound in parts familiar to any listener of Trash Future. But one thing we have never done is we've never put it all together and said, okay, can we please get the full story of how you make a tech monopolist? No, we've never and done that's sort of what we're here to talk yeah, about. We, today. We've never done like remedial trash future. We've never explained like we've never asked anyone who knows to explain how a bunch of like World War Two uh, like infrastructure ended up with like semiconductor manufacturers in the same place, which ended up with now Elon Musk tweeting. Yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> it's op- operation Operation Paperclip, more like Operation Paperless. <laughs> Get us well, out like of Operation right? the Microsoft paperclip. Ah. That's right. That's right. Oh, Operation yeah. Clippy was in the Buffett SS. 
Uh, okay, uh, early contender for episode title, Operation <laughs> Clippy. <laughs> um, so, look, we also, I want to talk at the end, because you, you've mentioned this, you actually have a Jacobin article out recently about it, Rob, which is billionaire philanthropy, and I figured it would be to- fun to talk about it at length, sort of towards the end. Oh, yeah. Um, because, oh, my God, I love billionaire philanthropy. Bill Gates just inventing mm. his own kind of math that somehow enriches him. Mm. Great. How, how do you think I get laid except by billionaire philanthropy? That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, that's Well, it's because that, that billionaire pays your uh, OnlyFans subscription with Caroline Calloway, your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> billionaire philanthropy was a girl that Caroline Calloway went to boarding school with. <laughs> and Milo Edwards was a boy she went to university with and that's where you met her and started dating her that's right that's right no word of a lie here I'm going to give uh, uh, Rob I'm going to give a quote from your your book uh, about that reflects the origin story that tech believes about itself with the example of the um, a quote from Steve Wozniak from Apple who said our first computers were born not out of greed or ego, but in the revolutionary spirit Ugh. of helping common people rise above the most powerful institutions. To quote a former member of Apple's marketing staff, revolutionize may be the most used word in Apple marketing. So that's the official story of the, of the tech executives. That's also what um, people who say, ah, you're posting about uh, healthcare from an iPhone, hypocrite much. Uh, that's what they believe, that there are these great people who spot an opportunity to make everyone's lives better and then remove all the buttons from it, thereby making everyone's lives better. So can you give us a precy of the actual market dynamics from venture investing to the political economy of Silicon Valley, geographically, network effects, and so on, to give us the story of how you make a tech behemoth? Yeah. Um, yeah, I could definitely do that. That's that's easy. I can do that in my sleep. So... Uh, you look at these companies, like an Apple's a great case, but also, yeah, in the book, I got a chapter on you know all of these big tech behemoths like Google and Microsoft and Amazon and all the others. Uh, you look at them, chronologically, it all starts with our parents' generation paying taxes during the Cold War. So that the military and a couple related uh, you know, NATO and U.S. agencies could develop all the slick technology that all of our phones completely rely on, you know, and the classic case is the internet. I mean, I'm sure your listeners and many people are kind of aware of the fact that the earliest precursors for the internet were developed mainly through the Pentagon and the US UK university systems, you know, uh, for a couple of reasons, you know, the Pentagon wanted a nuclear war survivable communications network. So it needed to be decentralized. Uh, also had a lot of espionage uses from its very early days. And scientists even have giant data sets that they used to have to share by shipping huge amounts of you know, computer paper printouts to each other. You know, dot matrix. Those printers. were good union jobs. <laughs> that's, that's, sad, that's, that's the real sad story of this. I'm loving the idea of a guy at the Pentagon being like, uh, we, we need it, sir. We need to develop a system which will enable us to send pictures of our balls, even if we are nuked by the Soviets. <laughs> um, yeah, because previously you yeah, had to have right. like a giant roll of computer printout paper just of people's balls. <laughs> that's, right, that's, right. that's the old economy, guys. That's how, mm. why why bother? It's true. What, what what started out as a way to send data sets became a way to send hot porn clips. It's all that really is the economic record of it. Uh, yeah, but like back at that those early days, you know, the the original name for what became the internet was DARPAnet because it was developed by DARPA, you know, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Administration that the Pentagon runs, you know, for all of its little research programs. That and the university system built built out that uh, 
early network where radio and landline based and satellite based networks could inter- could articulate. And that was the internetwork. Like that's how the internet arises. Uh, so there's a long mm-hmm. record there. Like that's something that has to happen before we can have any kind of slick devices that have, you know, internet connectivity or you know, social media or online search or video that all ride on top of that internet architecture. Once it was developed, in the 90s, it was privatized mostly through the work of the National Science Foundation, which operated it after the Pentagon split off its own network. There's a lot of technical detail there. But it gets privatized in the 90s and spreads you know, through the U.S. and, of course, globally. And now we have this very elaborated Internet architecture that telecom monopolies built out once that basic technology was in place. So how do you build a monopoly? Well, step one is to have the government spend decades doing slow trial and error, figuring out how you get all these different kinds of machines to be able to speak to each other and developing all of these uh, data packaging systems that let that operate. So that's step one, is years and years and millions of dollars of publicly funded research. That's the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then of so course, what you're saying you at- is in this story, the US government is the Winklevoss twins. Ah, <laughs> mm. uh, you're ah uh, yes, you're you're emailing you're emailing a senator to try to ask them to kill a bill that would uh, stop you from buying up all of your competitors over the publicly funded internet. Ironic, much? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. The reality is the opposite of what those yeah hypocrite, much jackasses think is going on. Like the reality is, you know, you leftists are the ones who are arguing for the state and its innovative capability and saying that the millionaires just take credit for it. And these guys will simply be using an iPhone to do that. So maybe you should think, oh, my God, I never thought of that, you genius. I did a whole video about this for current affairs uh, that tried to shit all over this argument at great length. I, I'm still thinking about the um, about Steve Wozniak talking about the revolutionary spirit of people over institutions. And like, I, I feel like a lot of those guys got much quieter after the third or fourth round of Ah, the repressive governments will simply fall away in the Middle East because people have Twitter now. Uh, <laughs> and it didn't it didn't quite work out that way because it turns out the the whole computer thing sort of works in both directions and then you can have people yeah. like kick people's doors in for their posts which well, or even worse, you could have Owen Jones get, send you a polite reply about why you have a Holocaust <laughs> uh, bookshelf on your Yeah, on, absolutely. That the your, worst form of state-sponsored terror. Yeah. yeah. Listen, yeah, guys, what up. you're failing to understand here is that once you've read the tweets of such intellectual titans as, you know, Dan Hodges and Joy Ann Reed, you can't help but be Ugh. free. <laughs> that's, what Rousseau, that's what we meant by forced to be free with John Stuart Mill, is you have to read uh, the, the Joy Ann Reed's blog. Yeah, absolutely. And when you do, it will make you overthrow your local dictator. Her name right. is Joy Ann Reed, not Joy Ann. Don't read it. It's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, getting back Why to this, would her right, name have... be that? Uh, they changed it. I don't know. Ellis Island. Ellis Island. Uh, look. So, like, let's. So, what's let's let's reset here. We have this massive public publicly funded infrastructure that begins to get privatized in the 1990s. How is it that the semiconductor industry effectively uh, begins to largely take it over? Yeah, well, the privatization was a big, like, formal goal of these uh, figures here. So getting it onto privately operated networks, you know, in those days, like AT&T and MCI were some of the big early operators. Like, that was the policy goal. So you can hand that over. Now, at the same time, yeah, like, the reason this is interesting and the reason why the internet becomes, like, interesting to a consumer mass market in the 90s is because of the development in semiconductor technology, of course, right? Miniaturizing so you can have a computer that fits on your desktop and eventually in a laptop and eventually in your phone. 
computing power that used to take up an entire room full of vacuum tubes at East Coast U.S. universities, you know. So the progress there, like, is required for all of this to be relevant to us other than, yeah, just something the military and the scientists use. But here again, it's interesting. Uh, Again, I have a chapter in the book looking at how all this technology and not just the Internet, like Wi-Fi, the hardware in most of our Android and Apple phones, most of those big components, including the multi-touch screen all come out of different public sector entities. Like that multi-touch screen was developed by CERN, the uh, French-Swiss particle collider, actually. It's an interesting story. But uh, the one exception to that, the one uh, big tech innovation that came from the private sector, actually, like they always claim, and not from the state, is the development of the modern transistors, you know, in the 60s and 70s, and then gradually whittling them down through miniaturization and getting better processing power. Because AT&T's Bell Labs developed those earlier big transistor innovations and integrating all that circuitry and beginning the process of that miniaturization. So you could say that, okay, well, some of this research does come from the corporations and, you know, the billionaires who own them. The only problem is that's when AT&T was still a monopoly. (laughs) See, (laughs) that's the thing about research is you never know if you're a scientist or an R&D person, you never know if you're ever going to find anything useful, let alone profitable, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's hard for companies that have any competitors, even just one competitor, it's hard for them to justify that kind of research budget. Maybe your opponent puts all that money into marketing and steals your market share, and then you collapse. So why you shouldn't do that R&D? But AT&T was a monopolist then. So it ran Bell Labs, which came up with a bunch of slick telecom innovations. By far, the most important one is that transistor technology. But that's the only exception. And once AT&T has its monopoly broken up by the Justice Department in 81, I believe, Bell Labs loses a huge chunk of its funding and it no longer does any kind of fundamental R&D. Typical government overreach against a small business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Look, it is, uh, uh, by certain metrics, it's small. It's small compared to governments and planets and so on. And the size of the sun. Yes, yes, it is a small business. Listen, Um, Bell Labs is receiving billion dollars a year and it's not produced a single bell. I demand answers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what we what we have here then is we have a is we have a, a a public a public utility, mostly a military, in fact, utility that is sort of slowly privatized over thirty years into the hands of AT and T. AT and T is is broken up, but then where we get the foundation of the actual computer manufacturers, uh, the the. The service providers, such as 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 Apple, uh, sorry, as as Amazon rather, and then um, and the data monopolists and so on. It's all built on that fundamental architecture, but it's true. Like the companies themselves, even like it mostly owes to public sector research for its core stuff. I mean, Google would be the main one to look at here. You could make a case. You know, Google's not the biggest of the big five tech giants, but you could argue it's the most important. Like Google arguably governs the internet. I think Google is about as important an institution as there is in the world. I think it's like, you know, the Federal Reserve. It's got that level of influence, cleaning up the web, shaping what people see, being the main go-to, you know, of course, search engine there. But Google's original web address was google.stanford.edu because it's expensive and time-consuming to develop some slick new thing like a relevance-based search algorithm. And so we develop it in a nice, you know, publicly and privately funded research facility where you don't have a... Wall Street stock price you have to prioritize all the time. 
And they did that research. Once they had a viable model, then you take it private because that's how you build something in America is you turn it into a corporation and you get investors and you do whatever you have to do to raise profits every quarter. But that's the, you know, the origin of Google. Look at Apple. Most of those, like we said, the main serious components of those iPhones, you know, when he, when Steve Jobs, uh, you know, the co-founder of Apple, along with Steve Wozniak, who we mentioned, when he introduced it on stage in 2007, the original iPhone, the original smartphone, he said, you know, it has all these features and boy, have we patented it, which is true, but that implies they created it. That's not true. They bought a lot of those patents for the multi-touch display and for several others. Other parts of that technology, like the GPS, were developed by the military and you know, like their signals agency. You know, uh, Wi-Fi was developed by the University of Hawaii, which is a big deal. Like that's how most of us do most of our computing is through a Wi-Fi connection to a wired connection. So like if you look down at the level of even these individual firms, there's usually some big public research investment. Certainly true with Microsoft, you know, the original operating system uh, producer. So you look at these guys. Yeah, it's not just the Internet. It's the business models of these companies and even the fanciest parts of their technology. You know, Google's whole empire from search to its Android operating system for phones to YouTube to everything else that it does. It all comes from the money that is made from selling ads to run on search. You know, so if you go drill down, like these firms are very proud of their innovation and such, but usually it's whether they did the innovation or not, it's usually public sector innovation at the time when the real fundamental R&D is being done. These companies are happy to do research to like turn the basic tech into a slick consumer product and have an easy to use consumer facing interface, you know. But it only after that basic R&D has been done because it's expensive and who knows if we'll ever make a damn dime from it. So that R&D public funding is fundamental to all this stuff. Well, it's that most of what the tech companies are able to do with their R&D budgets is, as you say, essentially a market package and, and productify uh, something that has already been shown to be viable as a concept. Right. So like they, they're not they're not going to ever take a moonshot. Well, it's 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 so fun that you mentioned the word moonshot because I was about to talk about Google moonshots and what happens when uh, you get that kind of level of monopolization back up again and these these private entities start doing the unprofitable research and they Google moonshots is their competitor to OnlyFans. (laughs) Yeah, but they start doing it in the dumbest, weirdest ways, and they're just like, "Yeah, I want to. I personally want to live forever, and I am willing to spend." Billions funding this is not the kind of inefficiency that I'd makes love for to good research. Accidentally invent the Highlander. Yeah, I've got another couple of quotes from your book here mm. um, because uh, another another few of the big um, myths, right, are that these individual people are responsible for all of the good things that yeah. these technologies Steve Jobs have done for puts us. Puts on the turtleneck and builds every single iPhone. Um, yeah, it's actually when you when you Google something on an iPhone, uh, Steve Jobs and Sergey Brin actually go through some files and find it for you. Hardworking man. Um, this was 2007, so, um, Steve Jobs. So he was wearing that turtleneck with like ripped skater jeans. Mm, awesome. Yeah. Like those cop. What was like up with cool the jeans situation on on Steve Jobs? Anyway, this- that started the whole tradition of how CEOs talk now. Like I'm CEO and I'm 55 and I yell at my nanny who takes care of my kids, but I'm a cool rock star. Also, look at my beat up pants. Mm. Case yeah, case closed. There's there's two there's two genders of these guys. There's that and the Zuckerberg, right? Where you just have the like kind of shoegaze sneaker thing. Uh, and I'm not sure which one I hate more. Yeah, uh, 
Uh, oh, sl- come on, slanted and enchanted. It's got to be the more uh, the, the more hateable. <laughs> uh, but uh, here's your here's the quote about the the great man hypothesis. Um, the ability of the cor- corporate hierarchy to create conformity is well known, uh, but Gates took it to strange new heights, as shown in business reporting on Gates's habit of rocking. It has become part of the corporate culture in Microsoft among programmers to try to recreate themselves in Gates's image. Healthy. Gates often. Gates often rocks himself in a chair, elbows on knees, to contain his intensity when he's talking about computers. It is not unusual to walk into a room of Microsoft managers and find most of them rocking in sync with him during an important <laughs> meeting. <laughs> All on the record. Awesome. All on the record. And look, awesome. I will say this. Since, I, since the book came out, a number of people have contacted me saying, well, you know, you know, these days we're, we're more aware of the spectrum and people who are in computer science and code writing often have a level of autism or Asperger's. And it's not uncommon for people to stim, you know, to do mm-hmm. physical, physical manifestations of their social anxiety by rocking or you know, standing or fidgeting or things like that. that. That's fine. Like, obviously, that's, you know. Yeah, we're not we're not we're not going to be ableist to Bill Gates, but it's still very funny that everyone still around weird him when everyone then imitates that, like you're imitating someone who has a mild emotional condition. And of course, it's not obviously just Gates. Like every one of these chapters has some section where, again, I, I'm quoting this stuff from very conventional biographies and corporate profiles. You know, if you pick up books on Microsoft, Apple, Google, most of what's there is written by business journalists. You know, it's guys who work for Fortune or Bloomberg or Business Week or the Wall Street Journal, people who do careful reporting so that investors and executives and managers can find out what's happening in the economy, make reasonably good investment choices. But so these guys are writing these books, not with the goal of like going after this company and taking down that CEO man, but it's just when you read their reportage, like very quickly, you're like, oh my God, these are like weird cultish institutions. So Steve Jobs, you know, in the Apple chapter, like, Steve Jobs would go after people on the Apple campus when they criticized or disagreed with him. And the first thing he'd say was, look at your black turtleneck, you little shit. You're imitating me. You want to be like me and just belittle them (laughs) for following the cultish atmosphere that he created. Jeff Bezos has these guys called Jeff Bots, who, you know, his his managers who kiss his ass and imitate him. It's an ugly culture inside corporations, man. This cultish conformity is kind of famous. But when you get these weird eccentric CEOs, everyone just acts like they're also weird eccentrics and you get these ridiculous tableaus like that yeah it's it's it's, they're all they're they're all just uh like alt girls from 2008 (laughs) uh uh, jeff i'm just scrolling down to the next part of that paragraph about the microsoft meeting and apparently as well as all rocking in sync they're all wearing masquerade masks and were naked except for a big red cape (laughs) (laughs) that's right i almost didn't include Uh, that part but i'm glad i did Hmm. Well, it's, well, it strikes me as a kind of cargo cultishness as well, right? Where if you believe that there is some, if you if you choose to ignore that it's the developers and the people actually making the the products or shipping the products or the governments that are actually creating the underlying technologies, then if you ignore all the material explanations, then there must be some non-material explanation as to why this person is so rich and successful and so if you're going if you're going to be determined to ignore all the material factors then you need to start saying well maybe it's a magic shirt Mm. (laughs) 
it's still, yeah, that's that's so definitely if, if you really believe in a magic shirt why wouldn't you wear a magic shirt yeah it's right there for you you can just go out and buy it it's magic apparently well, like and also the, these guys are making the most amount of money you have ever known anyone to make in your century right um it's true but so uh, moving on a little bit, right? There are also the work and labor conditions, which I mentioned, right? And that this oh, I'm is, sure they're good. This is widely talked about at Amazon and uh, Apple via Foxconn, right? So Foxconn that made all that, of those that suicide is a factories. Metal Gear Solid ass name for a company. <laughs> um, so yeah, they made all the suicide factories uh, in China, and then made then Scott Walker invited them to build suicide factories in Wisconsin. That's where they make um, all the squads. Yeah. Uh, so the um, but you you write here uh, that uh, workers workers as w- the white collar workers uh, were also sort of exploited to the limits that were acceptable in the professional classes of the developed world. But some wearing T-shirts reading, for example, ninety hours a week and loving it. Crunch, crunch, uh, crunch, crunch. Which is my my second favorite uh, Dracula knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> God, wow, that's that's right? that's that's reaching. <laughs> and so these uh, they were also uh, describing a. Uh, uh, Work lead ups to big product launches as death marches. Uh, oh, that sounds both, good. Across hmm. several of them, several of the companies. <laughs> like I, I remember that. Like whenever you like, this was still a time when you could, to a certain extent, challenge these people uh, while they're rocking back and forth in their turtlenecks. And every time that they have been challenged on this, they, they've always been like. Uh, they've defaulted back to the oh well, we're just like bedroom coders. We we started this in a garage. We don't know how to corporation. And it's it's always a lie. It's always clearly a lie. But like it's it's really funny that that's the kind of that's the self um, self effacing thing is just being like, well, I'm, I'm a fucking idiot. So of course I don't know how to manage people. Mm. Yeah, feigning naivete is a big thing with these guys. It's true. Mm. I'm just a humble village Stanford PhD student. I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 build on that um, naive garage coder thing for a sec, uh, because. If we in the sort of story of how you make a tech behemoth, right? We understand where the underlying infrastructure comes from. We understand how it was prepared to be sort of to be privatized and sold off by AT and T. Um, and we also understand how many of the secondary infrastructures uh, were then also developed throughout the uh, university system, with the exception of Bell Labs. Um, we we then sort of cut to. Uh, you have various sort of enterprising guys in their garages, apparently. Your Bezoses or your guys in your dorm rooms like uh, like Zuckerberg and stuff. Or uh, yeah, I think Gates was another garage guy. And, you know, and the story, again, is always that they were able to see in this wild morass of different technologies, they were able to see some vision of the future that they were able to then code and sell. Yeah, and, and code and, themselves, never with anybody else's help. And always, they, they never had any like financial basis for this. Bill Gates never had a trust fund, all right? His, it, what, what did his dad do? He, dig, he, he, he dug ditches, okay? Don't worry about yeah. it. Most, most importantly, none of them were ever assisted by any twins. Uh, there's an evil <laughs> conspiracy of twins. Twins are always trying to get in on other people's achievements. Shouldn't listen to a twin. They're weirdos. Mm, There's right. two of them. Why are there two? You can't trust them. Which one are you talking to? No, no one knows. That's right. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So can you go into a, a little bit of how we get from all of the, the table being set for you know Bezos to come in and take over more and more of the economy um, and make more and more people work in robot cages? Like, How do we, yeah. get, how do we bridge that gap? 
Yes, you know, uh, again, a lot, a lot of these guys, you know, their their companies themselves have the publicly funded research, like we mentioned. But how we get to them and like that guys working in garage piece and how do you build up the company? Well, one thing that helps besides having your parents pay taxes to make the basic tech for years, that's handy. But another thing is to actually come from a fair amount of professional class privilege. So, you know, Bill Gates... You know, he does actually come from a fairly wealthy Washington state family. They're yeah, like all, friends. All ditch with diggers. Were, they, it's kind of amazingly for ditch diggers. They grew like Gates growing up, growing up knew the governor, the Republican governor of the state of Washington. Like they're at that level of prominence that they associated huh. with like statewide government figures and so on. You know, his mother was on the board of a couple of major entities and it's, it's her intervention with the CEO of IBM that's credited with getting Microsoft's, Windows on the original IBM PC in the first place. And that's not confirmed. I couldn't find any source that specifically says that. But again, several of these business journalists say like, well, you know, she was on the board with the IBM CEO. They probably talked, you know, it's common. So that helps. Zuckerberg went to, you know, a private academy and then he was at Harvard when he came up with his glorified hot or not service that became Facebook with the help of various coders that he had. Paid Sorry, for. I've not heard of that university. Yeah. And, and, and also, yeah, like uh, jobs again, uh, like many of these guys have in their early history. Yeah. These friends who did most of like the grunt work of the coding, the classic case there is jobs and Wozniak again, Wozniak, like it, from everything I can learn really is that sort of sweet, earnest, awkward image that people have of the tech innovator. And he created most of the not hardware and software for the early Apple computers, you know, that eventually led that company to creating the mobile revolution that we uh, are enduring today. But Waz talks in the press about how Steve Jobs betrayed him a couple times, screwed him out of money when they were young, developing Atari video games. It's all on the record, you know. And talking about how who knows where Jobs gets his ideas, maybe he steals them was sort of the subtext there. And also Jeff Bezos, too. Before he started his firm, he had the incredibly humble origins of being a prominent Wall Street figure at a quant-based trading house. So these guys don't just have all that publicly funded tech, which is essential. They also do themselves tend to come from money and from you know rel- different levels of elite families. You know, And it's worth mentioning, again, we can get into the economics of this, which I talk about at the beginning of the book. But there's a reason these industries tend to be just straight out of the box monopolies, as the economist said. Uh, you know, there's network effects and so on. Several of these guys were aware of those network effects when they started the company, just meaning they realized if they got a strong early lead, they could get very quick monopolies. And they did. I think it's interesting they went in with their eyes open, too, you know. Mm. And then spend all of that money on uh, anti-antitrust lawyers for the next 20 years. Yeah. 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 Well, the, uh, the well, that's the thing that they they say they spend a lot of that money trying to like protect the monopoly they saw the opening for. Because like again, it's not as though it's that people often misdirect where the innovation happens. The 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 they, they are lobbying innovators. Yeah, the real innovative leap is in obtaining and securing a monopoly status. Yeah, uh, like not, we, we should like creating a new way to have radio. On yeah, your we, phone. we should clarify. We're not deriding the innovative capabilities of these guys. It's just that their innovation is all in how to protect and secure a tech monopoly. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're very very good at, at, at corporate law. They're very good at lobbying. Uh, and they're they're very good at removing any kind of competitive advantage in their fields. Um, because they've been very innovative about when or when may they may not have been on certain islands or planes. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> 
who knows what various kind of pedophiles they might or might not have been in the social <laughs> yeah. circles with. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. No one knows. Yeah. You need a contact tracing app for that, really. Someone should develop that. <laughs> That's a great idea. And so it's there is essentially what what it is is like um you know we uh, we talk about it's it's a it's a kind of uh, primitive accumulation happening before your eyes right there were these there were public goods that were then or as um I think later scholars of Marx called it uh, what they call it uh, 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 accumulation by dispossession uh, where we just we then these public goods are immediately privatized and they're privatized in such a way that tends to monopoly. So it's, the important thing to remember is that is that these big five companies could be five completely different companies run by completely different people, and the world would be largely what it is today. Yeah, it's it's interesting and fun to poke uh, like to poke fun at their like personal foibles, like uh, Larry Page going to Burning Man wearing the like uh, neon top hat or whatever. But like materially, no, that doesn't matter. Mm. None, none, none of their foibles matter, but none of their innovations matter either, because they're fundamentally not their innovations. They just happen to stumble into the room at the right time to um, not even to stumble, not even stumble to wave. break into the room at the right time. Yeah, effectively, yeah, <laughs> to then be carried forward on a wave of the wider economy um, going in certain directions. These are not innovators; they are followers. I had an interesting mm. argument with this because I, I did a I did a thread about this back when uh, Bloomberg was trying to run for president, and how like all these people were getting like really angry about him being called an oligarch, and they're like, "Well, oh, he's not like Russian oligarchs who like you know with all their ill-gotten <laughs> gains." And it's like, hang on, you think Mike Bloomberg's gains are not ill-gotten? Mm. Like, do you think there's really like materially much of a difference between like Russian oligarchs who are all involved in like insider deals, buying up fucking state industries in the nineties? or people like Mike Bloomberg who just did that in like a Wall Street legalized way. It's Look, the same shit. All of those all of those Russian oligarchs innovated a great deal in like different ways of putting people in the NSA river and we're not going to we're not going to deride that. Yeah, uh, it, it, interesting new developments in in uh, umbrella technology. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just just like a, a huge innovator in the car bomb sector. Yeah. yeah, various well, different also, kinds of ways of blocking roads. It's it, you really need disruption in the espionage sector. We've been killing counter spot, counter espionage agents the same way for years. It's mm. ripe for disruption, gentlemen. It's easy for us to take for granted the way that we kill foreign spies today. Someone had to think of that, and we should be more grateful. Probably. Well, like ge just generally as right. as like a, a defense girl, uh, it's interesting to me that so much of this maps onto the same way. Like I, when they point when Putin had Sergei Skripal poisoned in in Salisbury, I got mad for much the same reason whoa, on whoa, the basis whoa, allegedly. Allegedly, parody. When he allegedly Minecrafted him in a video game, I, I I got mad for much the same reason because I was like, you didn't build any of the infrastructure you used to do that. You didn't you didn't come up with the bioweapons lab, right? You didn't come up with the chemical weapons lab. You didn't come up with any of the stuff that the KJB like just invented as part of a government project. And now you're just these goons running it, and you don't know what you're Wait, doing. So the the KGB are the Winklevoss. Yes. Yeah. Literally right. true. Literally true. There are somewhere there is in a retirement home. There is an aging Soviet Winklevoss twin just being like, I spent years in like developing this perfect Novichok weapon, and these fucking idiots. His his twin was killed in a mind control experiment <laughs> yeah. in 1960. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing. 
if you're going to do something that obviously antisocial and have at least for um gates especially was the one who had sort of the worst reputation uh i'd say bezos probably now has the worst reputation of all of them followed by zuckerberg Hmm. um and gates probably has the best reputation now and a lot of that is because of the uh, the fake world of billionaire philanthropy Hmm. another of their genuine innovations yeah uh, well, here's the thing, though. There's a new problem that billionaire philan- philanthropists face, and it's not malaria. It is not the widespread dissemination of that awful fake news. No, <laughs> they have a much more fundamental problem. And I have here the opening strains of a completely moronic and airheaded symphony from where else? Vox. Mm. In December, writing for Inside Philanthropy, David Callahan uh, looked at the numbers and pointed out that across the board, the wealthiest people in the world are sitting on $4 trillion and accumulating money much faster than they give it away. Huh, I wonder how that happens. Bill Gates was worth $54 billion in 2010, the year his giving pledge debuted. He's worth $97 billion today. Warren Buffett's wealth has also nearly doubled to $90 billion despite annual transfers of Berkshire Hathaway stock to the Gates Foundation and the four foundations controlled by his three children, one of whom we'll go into. Why so, what, with some billionaires, there's a simple explanation for why they don't give away more money. So there's Jeff Bezos, which is that they simply don't really feel like it. Mm. But that doesn't seem like a fully satisfying explanation when it comes to Gates, Buffett, or increasingly Mark Zuckerberg, uh, billionaires who've pledged to give away their wealth before they die. And this is where the article is uh, up until now. It's been a pretty reasonable article. Like, yes, this all seems quite fine. This, this is factual. <laughs> um, here's the next sentence. I want to speak up in their defense here. It's actually shockingly challenging to give away vast sums of money, so especially brave. at the rates especially at the rates that billionaires would need to keep giving in order to keep keep giving away their recent gains in the stock market. You know what's depressing to me and what genuinely is reflective of that kind of innovation we've been talking about in lobbying is that like for, to write this about a Russian oligarch, right? To write this about actually, it's very difficult to give away your shares of what used to be the state concrete enterprise. You would <laughs> you would expect to get paid, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know that the, anyone who writes anything like this is getting paid off to do it. I think it's just pure ideology, and I think they're just they are wearing the turtleneck in hopes that like it will bring wealth to them. Mm. <laughs> they want senpai to notice them. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they they want Elon Musk to think that they're cool. Yeah, you know, and maybe if you do well fondling the balls of the ruling class, maybe another Jeff Bezos will buy your struggling media outlet no. for a for one two hundredth of their fortune, hmm. and then you own the Washington Post and you can shape what people are saying. And now, but your job as a journalist is more secure. And my God, you know, Vox, you know, so voice. Thank goodness, giving some defense. Speaking up with your voice in defense of these billionaires, because who's going to defend these mm. poor guys? Punching bags of society. So thank God bless you, sir, Mr. Callahan, rising <laughs> up in bravery to uh, defend these poor, helpless billionaires. What's interesting about Vox, right, is that the House Vox style is to focus in on one small issue while very pointedly uh, ignoring every other larger contextual issue. Uh, so the... Um, it's that why the House style of Vox, say, when talking about Medicare for All in the United States, uh, will focus on, say, for example, you know, the administration of uh, pen distribution across the hospitals and how will this be uh, conducted with a single bureaucracy, as opposed to the alternative, which is, you know, everyone seems to be dying all the time. Mm. And so this is just a classic Vox style of just of of saying, hmm, the billionaires seem to be giving away their giving away as much of their wealth as they can, but they can't stop getting rich despite that. 
which is again and then just being well it's because they haven't taken off the turtleneck if they would just take (laughs) on the turtleneck for five minutes uh so i've got here a few examples of a billionaire philanthropic activity as again very important for their pr it's what turned bill gates from like almost a national hate figure in the 1990s which like everyone seems to forget yeah Uh, it's what turned him they all saw the microsoft windows 95 launch they all saw that on single <laughs> it's to turn him from that into one of the single most like trusted and beloved public individuals uh in in the modern world uh much to everyone's regret mm. um so uh the i'm gonna go through a few categories here the first is education now much of this is from an article in jacobin by nick french uh, the ultra rich funded education reform movement uh is a case in point of uh philanthropy as capitalist accumulation the Broad Foundation, the Walton Family Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have been seeking to privatize public education in order to wrest democratic oversight and control and to destroy teachers unions, one of the last bastions of labor organizing in the United States. And one of the things that they're trying to do is they're basically trying to say what they're trying to say, number one, uh, schools in, across America are failing. So they make everyone watch The Wire and they say all schools are like this. Um, and then they say you need to get a charter school. Here, we've got you a charter school. By the way, the curriculum is all of the skills Microsoft believes it's going to need for the next 30 years. Yeah, the teacher is clippy. <laughs> and the lessons are how to rock back and forth in your turtleneck, yeah, <laughs> among other things. Yeah, it's amazing. Billionaires, you know, have like that long American history of trying to control education, you know, from Carnegie and all the other Gilded Age figures who we celebrate for giving money to schools, which is nice. But it's not like the money comes with no strings attached. It's you give us money. We give you money. We expect influence over the curriculum or now. Yeah, it'd be like, you know, Zuckerberg or Bill Gates and encourage charter schools where you get public funding, but you're run privately. So some billionaire can set the curriculum, decide, make sure you don't get any anti crazy anti billionaire ideas. Uh, And also, like you said, like conspicuously, the curriculum is all about training people to have careers in STEM and related fields which obviously is a nice dovetail with the material interests of those billionaires in the first place. And let me just say, of course, you know, as someone who works in education, it's part of education is to help you prepare for a career and get the basic knowledge and skills that you will need. Mm. That's not all that we do in education. You know, I mean, I know this is a teachery thing to say, but for God's sake, for most people, when you're in school and especially in college, like that's the time in your life where you're going to be exposed in a, significant basis to things you're not already interested in. Read a damn poem, paint a picture, think about how astronomy works just for a couple of weeks. Mm. I think you can make an argument that there's a real valuable intellectual and cultural enrichment that happens in education and shouldn't just be, well, what are we training these young people to be? Oh, well, train more of them to meet this need of billionaires. And now our job is done here. Well, the tendency is to make schools into just Votech training arms of the corporate world and we'll still pay for it because we have to pay our tax assessments to fund the schools we'll just have no control over what's taught there and they become little appendages of the ruling class it's a pretty ugly picture i love to go to the zuckerberg madrasa and like learn an approved curriculum <laughs> off of a, like a wooden board yeah very cool i mean 
I, well, I would much great. rather my schools were funded by chamillionaires, and it's like day one, lesson one, you're riding dirty. You see the police. What do you do? Um, <laughs> but in seriousness, like this is like such a liberal obsession. And I remember it's like something that's been annoying me for a long time. How like there was kind of like it's certainly in the UK, and I presume similarly in the US, there was like this whole thing of like, oh well, everyone should like study science actually because like studying anything like literature or like Latin or whatever is like pretentious and it's for posh people. And actually, if you weren't a pretentious dickhead, you'd be studying studying like engineering or something or computer mm-hmm. science and then now we discover that all the pretentious dickheads are all people who discovered who, who did fucking studied engineering and computer science and the only people going like wait what the fuck is this bullshit are all the people who studied like the apparently pointless humanities subject yeah have to become a podcaster <laughs> yeah that's right dark um, face so you know if you want mm. if you want to if you want to look at the sort of mirror image of um of the accumulation of the the privatization and, accum- and exploitation of the publics of the taxpayer-funded networks that were being built throughout the U.S. and U.K. The pure mirror image of that is the billionaire-funded charter school movement, which seeks to like largely do the same thing with training their workforce: is use taxpayer money to you know fund to fund their particular needs at the expense of like I don't know anyone else anywhere ever. Uh, learning that you know um, Jeff Bezos is not able to breathe fire and can't actually control you with his mind. <laughs> um, so a couple, a couple more because they don't just do this in uh, in America; they do it elsewhere as well. So Gates and Zuckerberg are both backers of Bridge International Academies, uh, which A sounds like a private military company, but B is actually again a for-profit <laughs> education business that provides private and informal schools throughout Africa. So what they actually do is this is again they back it philanthropically. But what the, uh, they are actually doing is investing in a highly profitable um, data collection firm that happens to teach some classes. Look, I, there's no history of ideologically or, or like colonially minded philanthropic education in Africa. Uh, that's never huh. happened. That's right. I went to, you know, uh, Rhodesia High and I never heard of it being bad. So right there. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. I, 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 love, I, I, love to stu- I love to study at the like Lycée Universel de Jésuite de Belgique de Génocide and like <laughs> learn absolutely nothing but STEM. Yeah, exactly. I've read this really <laughs> educational book about it, Alice. Actually, I'll lend it to you. It's called Tantano Kong. <laughs> <laughs> and and here's the thing: it doesn't. It goes further than this. There, where you're not just generating profits uh, from from owning schools in Africa or um, defraying future costs by passing the. Tr- uh, cost of training your workforce onto the taxpayer, but also you're even able to put your own equipment and require your own equipment to be bought by the schools. So uh, Mm. Gates, Bill Gates was one of the primary backers of the common core system, which is a like, um, the, one of the standard ways to teach K to 12 in America. I don't think we use it in the UK. Mm. Um, it makes chubs furious, but for all the wrong reasons, they're like, they're going (laughs) to teach your kids how to vaccines. Yeah. They hate what's good about it. Yes. Yeah. So Microsoft signed a deal to put those courses on Microsoft devices um, and then required schools to buy those Microsoft devices. Cool. Yeah. Great. Awesome. That's just uh, (laughs) that's fantastic. Awesome. (laughs) So this clippy pops up and it it looks like you're walking 15 miles to fetch clean water. (laughs) (laughs) So what we what what you get and that's that's in the States as well. So what you ultimately get is all of the philanthropic activities, like it's every single side of it is personally benefiting Bill Gates, every single element of it. 
anyone who anyone else who benefits from Bill Gates' philanthropic activities is doing so largely by accident. Um, they also, they're famous for uh, fighting malaria. However, according to a 2009 report by The Lancet, uh, Gates Foundation's spending on health suffered from, quote, whimsical budgeting choices that did not reflect the burden of the disease by those in de- deepest poverty. And we're back to the moonshots thing again. Everyone in Africa has been given a kazoo by the Gates Foundation. <laughs> yeah, they, they, fund, it's that they, fund, they spent tens of millions of pounds funding different patch Adamses to go up and down the continent fighting uh, malaria. Oh, God. Um, it's amazing yeah. too. Like if you look at these guys though and their foundation, like this really has worked to launder their reputations. Like it's true. Like Bill Gates, yeah, people totally don't remember this anymore. Back in the nineties. Relax, guys. It's the nineties in this story. Back then, like Bill Gates was just on TV every day, first for having a monopoly in you know, with his Windows software, which no one likes, and then for cr- using it to crush other companies, especially Netscape, which is how it got into its real legal trouble. Like he was a Simpsons villain for a short period. Bill Gates, he would appear and re- destroy people's businesses and stuff. Like that's as that's as bad as it gets. That actually happened in an episode of The Simpsons, where Homer <laughs> creates Compu Global Hyper MegaNet, and then Bill Gates sends in some lawyers to quote buy him out, which just consists of destroying his house with baseball bats. Yeah, it's not a flattering <laughs> portrayal. Yeah, but that that's all forgotten because with our shallow commercial press, we're so eager to believe. Yeah, and, you know, with their ideological goal to believe in billionaires in the first place, like oh look, and he put some billions into his foundation to fight huge problems that we could fix, but we don't because we have capitalism. But it's incredible. Like the, the figures who run his own foundation have said, you know, I quote this stuff in the book. Uh, they, they've mentioned like our giving is a drop in the bucket compared to the government's responsibility. Like they actually, that's a quote from them saying, well, of course we contribute, but governments, you know, like our foundation is going to immunize everyone in all these African countries. It's out of the question. This is something that is done and can support the public sector in these places, which is nice because the IMF, which we control, is forcing them to cut their public health spending all the time. It's especially insane sounding in this kind of uh, environment that we're in right now. But there's no like no one believes seriously that Gates and Buffett and these billionaires are going to be able to take up all the slack left from our neoliberal hacking away at the social safety net from Thatcher until today. You know, a lot of that hacking away, in fact, was perpetrated by them. Hmm. Right. Like it's they they have of of the most profitable resources that will retrospectively, apparently a state could have had would say be direct control of the Internet. Right. Uh, So. They they have t- they have appropriated some of the most important um, public resources and then are using those to give back a tiny slice of what is essentially a marketing budget to do what the state is sort of unable or unwilling to do in part because all of those resources were privatized out from under it by these five guys <laughs> and the you know, political arms that they fund like the Chamber of Commerce and others who push to cut those things. It's true. And I mean, the big smoking gun here is that Gates made all of his big billion dollar scale contributions to the foundation during the 90s, back when he was looking like shit in the press. And not just from like the Simpsons appearance, like every night on the news, you'd see him like the big story of that trial was how much he lied under oath. Like he did a big Mm. video deposition, which you can watch like the highlights of on YouTube. Your listeners should do that because it's interesting. There's like a 15 minute clip on YouTube with just the highlights of it. Because the first thing you realize is what a smug, condescending prick the man is. Uh, For some reason, somewhere way back there, I saw the footage of Justin Bieber 
when mm. he was being questioned by the LA County Sheriff for some godforsaken thing, who knows? But he's just being like, it's a famous thing where Bieber looks really bad because he's just being the biggest, rudest asshole that he could possibly be. The Gates testimony is just like that. Mm. He's just smug, condescending, unbelievably evasive, like crazily evasive. But then when, because it was a legal process, all of their corporate emails got entered into the record. And that's the kind of thing that makes economists like me get very excited. <laughs> all their mm. secrets are in, are all in the public record now. And I've written whole articles just looking through like the emails that come out in this discovery process. It's all gold to me, but it's all openly contradicted the things that Gates had said under oath in his deposition. So night after night on the news, it's not just look at this rich douchebag who crushes competitors and influences the government and all these other things. Look, he even like lied under oath. It amazes me. He never caught a perjury charge. I mean, these cases are against the companies, I suppose, but uh, it's an interesting story. Like that's why he needed that reputation laundering. It wasn't for no reason. And it happened right at the time when he was most in need. And once he came to look better, now it's much more modest scale of giving as we've been talking about. I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense when you contextualize it like that, that everything that Bill Gates has done since then has been in furtherance of never having to do that again, um, and never ever being that accountable to anyone ever. It's true. Let's look at another couple of couple of uh, examples here. We're going to talk about Howard Buffett, uh, Warren Buffett's uh, son, who has been awesome. uh, variously a photographer, the chairman of Coca Cola. I didn't know that Warren Buffett had a sales son. This is so perfect. Oh, I bet he's a large, meaty lad. Mm. Every one of these guys has a son like this, from Donald Trump Jr. to Hunter Biden. I'm, I'm going to look him up. I want to. I want to get a, a, an image, a phrenological image of this fail son here, Howard Buffett. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's a big boy. He's Ooh, a great. He's that's a, great a hefty big lad. Boy. He's so mm. cool. He's so cool. Mm. <laughs> wow. He's been uh, directors of various companies that are sort of owned by his dad, and was a director of Coca Cola for a while. Nice. Yeah, I bet um, he was. Mm. Uh, he was a. He was a sheriff. Uh, <laughs> what? Well, I right, mean, I, I right. keep thinking about how um, uh, one of the Koch brothers is like literally a part-time volunteer sheriff's deputy in, I think it's Arizona, in like rural Arizona, so that he can concealed <laughs> carry in New York. That's that's genuinely true. All of these guys are technically wow. cops. Uh, purely it's because so of the law enforcement uh, like concealed carry reciprocity means that if you're a cop, you can just concealed carry anywhere, and they do. He just wants to uh, hang so out with Seagal. Yeah. So here I've got a I've got a few facts about Howard Buffett. Uh, is investing hundreds of he's investing hundreds of millions to spur development and promote environmental conservation in the in the DRC in Rwanda. So mm. along with Gates, Buffett has invested forty seven million. Um, but it's in a project with Monsanto. Hmm. Uh, oh, those are good lads. Basically, um, distribute uh, rationed amounts of patented seeds to farmers and also stop them doing their uh, normal uh, agriculture that they've historically done, which involves, say, the sharing of and conserving of seeds, which Monsanto is like yeah, what if, a global leader in the fight against. Well, what if instead mm. of that, more monoculture and we just like yeah. erode the last yeah. 10 years of topsoil? So what he's basically what you're basically doing is is you are is uh, in this case, it's billionaire philanthropy that is. Uh, used as a pump primer to create a market for Monsanto. Yeah, nice. Did I, I like the use of patented seeds? Are they under the impression that they've invented seeds? Well, because they're GMOs, they they they, uh, yeah. they own the genome of that seed. 
Yeah, we hired so a you, lab to edit some of the genes, and now it's our private property now that that has been done. That belongs to us. So crucially, what happens is when though when you when you plant your crop, some of it goes to seed, and then you collect this the crop that the elements of the crop anymore. have gone to seeds. You go and collect those seeds, and you seed them again. But with Monsanto makes that illegal to do because you're effectively stealing from Monsanto because you haven't licensed that seed for a second year. They do one of two things. They either edit the genes so that they never go to seed and can't go to seed, yeah. or they monitor you for tr- collecting your seeds and then uh, sue you. Yeah, I mean, also, we should say, when we talk about this being legal, it is legal in the UK and the US because, as we say, they're very good at lobbying, but... That elides a kind of uh, a, another one of those neo-colonial relationships. In that, do you think that the DRC is going to make this illegal? Do you think that uh, Monsanto cannot influence the Supreme Court in Kinshasa? Uh, because I suspect that they can. Mm. I share that right. suspicion. Hmm. Uh, so mm. there's one other funny thing that I want to go to our final our final item. So the other funny thing is that uh, Warren uh, Howard Buffett also is a key player in financing peace talks between certain rebels in the Congolese government uh, in Uganda. Oh, fantastic! Do you, I love to sit awesome. down around a table with a guy who like hacks my family to death with pangas and this fucking like uh, sometimes volunteer sheriff volunteer deputy. sheriff's deputy <laughs> Howard Buffett sheriff of Pizza Hut shows up and he's like, "Hey, why don't you share a share a coke with these machete wielding <laughs> lunatics?" <laughs> what happened was when a basically there was a, it was found that the like the UN found that the Rwandan government was supporting the uh, the rebels, yeah, um, and then Buffett argued basically against taking any action against the Rwandan government, um, and so and, and then published a report that tried to discredit the UN's finding. Sure, uh, mm. so and that's be all, partly because Howard Buffett is in bed with Paul Kagame. Awesome, awesome, cool. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Just this again, this volunteer sheriff's deputy from Omaha, Nebraska, has just inherited like thirty different um, corporate <laughs> corporate yeah, directorships. Like, in, 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 also, like thirty different insane corporate like uh, ownerships and beefs and things. So, like, what, a guy yeah. from Nebraska suddenly has to have an opinion about Laurent Kabila. It's like. Yeah. But also, also yeah. like is just again he is it's the it's the neoliberalized version and the much more successful version of Mark Thatcher, Tim Spicer, and Simon Mann, where they're just like we're gonna go and instead of taking over uh, an African country with a coup, we're basically just going to use money to make African politics what we want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're gonna become the yeah. sheriff of Equatorial Guinea. It's interesting, you know, because people like just last uh, last week i debated a libertarian for a an online show which no one oh, should have, no one should ever do i they asked me to i kind of owed them a favor it was one of those you know but it was interesting because you you just you learn things from it like one thing if if people ref, if someone's going to refuse to believe that someone like the buffett family here if someone's going to refuse to believe that they have power that they could fly in their private corporate plane to a large developing world country and try to change UN and US policy toward them. Like this is like showing power. Like you've got money, you've got influence, you've got the clout that comes from you know being attached to a billionaire with a giant corporate empire. Damn, cloud you can't chasing. make these guys, you can't make them admit that these figures are powerful and therefore have their own threat to liberty and freedom in them, you know? It's just impossible. And just hearing this, I'm just thinking back to that. Like, I doubt even this would shift them, you know? 
But mm. it, this, I mean, this goes to show if you're if you're if Daddy is that rich, yeah, you can be a Beaufort T pussy with a private jet and fly <laughs> into some country. And yeah, tra- like, are we being too hard on them for supporting child soldier militias? I don't know. Uh, it's just amazing. Like, this point, is someone, point. some libertarians, just like a uh, point of information. What is the age of consent in the DRC? <laughs> <laughs> I have one final thing here before we uh, we all sign off. Um, which is that this is less of a structural look at sort of how individual billionaires have used their money to e- either change yeah, we, or shape policy we did, in a way that suits we, them. we did the materialist stuff. Now we're doing the fun individual stuff. Yeah. This is this next segment is the dessert. One of the founders of AOL, a guy called Steve Case, uh, has a foundation with his wife Jean. Jean being a former Bush administration apparatchik, of course. And they pioneered something in KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa that was going to solve the um, solve the issue of, of getting clean water and the work that is involved in getting clean water uh, to different villages, uh, and also was going to occupy the children. Something called play pumps. No, no, now, no. I see nice. where this is going already, and Sounds I hate like it. Sounds like a sex toy. <laughs> I, I, I am filled with murderous rage instantly. You... Y- mm. Sorry, please, uh, please yeah, continue, right. but I'm, I, I, I have an inkling here, and I don't like it in the slightest. So Al- Al- Alice's uh, health bar is just now flashed red. Yep. She is now yep. uh, enraged. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm. she gets two attacks. So she gets two attacks a turn. <laughs> um, the concept <laughs> is very simple. It is a, simply a merry-go-round connected to a borehole uh, into the ground. Yep. As children play spinning the merry-go-round, uh, the spinning motion pumps the underground water into a raised tank. Cool. Mm. Perhaps we could install some kind of hamster wheel. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, it's it's disruption. We just disrupted tired old models of child labor with fun new child labor models for us to enjoy. Mm. So it's once again, yeah, we've done a a slick rebrand of child labor uh, to make it kooky and fun. Yeah, we we took Uh, all of the vowels out of it. Now it's just child labor. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So, uh, WaterAid, one of the world's biggest water charities, uh, issued a statement as to why it will never support play pumps in its projects from the uh, high costs of $14,000 per pump. Jeez. <laughs> Damn, I love this solid gold merry-go-round. What the hell is that? That's huge. Drilling not included, by the way. That's just the pump. Oh, of course. Mm. Yeah, I, lo- I love nice. a $14,000 child labor machine. I'm not sure how viable a development model that will be. Hmm. I mean, I'm yeah. no economist. Mm. It just doesn't sound right. Uh, and the, the pumping mechanism itself was actually so complex, strange, and bespoke that local maintenance was essentially impossible. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> you had, to get, you had so, to get a guy flown in from, like, fucking, you know, San Jose to fix it. So, like, but that's... They must somehow be involved in the other end of this. Like no one, I, I keep, I keep defying myself to think no one could be that stupid mm. uh, as to be like, mm. yes, it's a pump that relies on child labor, <laughs> um, but it's like sort of branded as fun. And uh, by the way, it costs orders of magnitude more than anything else. And good luck keeping it in operation because in order to accomplish this fairly strange idea that really feels like quite a first draft of an idea mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. we needed to invent a bunch of new technology to go into this, which is proprietary. Also, like, since when was the problem with water in Africa that, like, people were too lazy to use the pump? Like, right? I don't think that was the problem. <laughs> people who are um, thirsty are pretty motivated with that pump. 
<laughs> well, here's the thing, actually. Let's let's talk about this. Um, Playpub's stated target of uh, 2,500 um, 2, liters of water per person per day uh, for, a, for a village. Um, what, uh, how long do you think a child will have to play on the play pump pump over a 24 hour period? Putting play, play here, getting ever, ever larger inverted commas. You know, how, how long would a child have to play on this steam loom to produce one linen coat? <laughs> Not toiling, um, playing. Yes. How long will a child have to uh, toil on this on this uh, awful merry-go-round? <laughs> Let's assume um, that this is a large uh, a large son of like a billionaire who, at the age of three, has the strength of a fully grown man, but the intellect of like a wild boar or something. Mm. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, no. So, um, look how how many over a twenty four hour period? What percentage of that do you think has to get spent? Four pumping? years. <laughs> Come on, what's a real? Give me a real percentage. I want to know what you actually 85. think. Eighty five. 85% of the day? I All right, any other I guesses? Hope it's low. I hope it's lower. I mean, these are kids. They should be in school. They often have to help their poor families. Surely <laughs> a number over 20% but, but, would be but, too but high by, by school, we here mean the like Gates Foundation school for programming yes. and nothing yes. else. We, we, we mean the school. We mean the, uh, yeah, when the toy company takes over Springfield Elementary and they have to, like, you know, say what the atomic weight of bolonium is. Yeah. Partial yeah. credit. Uh, the, the play pump is a kind of education. So that's right. No, so what, Milo? I want you to register a guess. What percentage of the day? Will no, but I know. I know the answer. Something? Okay, uh, it's a hundred and ten. I was right. My joke about it exceeding the day was correct. That's correct. Yes, I didn't. I didn't want you to bury the lead on it though. Oh. So yeah, you mm. have to pump for twenty-seven hours a day. Sure. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> so you're actually a little mm. more than te- than 110 percent, like 112 or so percent. You got to work as so hard much. as Donald Trump. I mean, this this feels one. like an angle that I don't even want to be taking of, of being like my objection to the child torture machine is that it's inefficient, right? Yeah. <laughs> and expensive. Yeah, it, it's weird. Omelas, they're using like 10 children suffering to guarantee the prosperity and happiness of all of their citizens. We could get that down to like five or two. Or- God, we're working mm. so hard to avoid giving money to the UN aid bodies that could just do yeah. this directly. Which, which we're also, working so like, hard in designing things. Yeah. And being willing to lash the kids to these for their waking day, anything but tax bill gates to fund the UN to get real aid to these people. Amazing. And don't forget, don't forget that the people who are creating the police, this awfully insane, discredited, inefficient, extremely expensive child labor machine, the guys who invented AOL. It's the, it's the mailing you a floppy disk. That, that's guys. why it's nice. that's why it costs fourteen thousand dollars. It's made out of old CDs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Still trying to recover all those shipping costs. Yeah, they have to like melt them down and reforge them. Yeah, yeah. When they turn the <laughs> yeah. wheel, it, it it powers AOL Instant Messenger. They're introducing well, AIM to Africa. So the thing is, like, most of the let's think, most of the on, on the final sort of serious note here is that, like this this clearly is not an innovation that was made with like anyone in mind except the people inventing it saying i feel like inventing something we're gonna do the first thing i think of Mm. and the fact that there is no that they just have so much power and so much self-regard but all they know how to do in the case of the successful ones is just successfully create monopolies and turn things into revenue streams for themselves and so if you're asking them to solve any other problem that doesn't require a monopoly with a revenue stream for them they are always going to either create that 
Or you're going to ask one of the ones that sort of quote unquote failed and it's just a normal billionaire instead of an, a monopolist billionaire like Steve Case. And he'll make this um, awful eldritch child torture machine. And, you know, that that's the that's the best you can hope Good for. Good news. We're, we're only like uh, the federal government is only signaling and state governments are only signaling their willingness to give tens of millions of dollars or more to anybody who says anything involving the word coronavirus. So I look forward to some innovative solutions, and I look forward to the child-powered ventilator. Since, as we know, right. the, ch the children cannot catch coronavirus, so we just have a whole hospital playpen full of merry children circling and circling and circling to power grandma's lungs. That's right. That's all we can look forward to. Um, so, look, uh, we've gone for quite a, quite a while now, so... I would like to first say, uh, Rob, thank you very much for calling in today. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, guys. It's my pleasure. This is a very, very fun show. Um, and uh, Bit Tyrants, uh, we're going to include a link to order that in the description. Uh, it's a good book. I strongly recommend it. Uh, if you want to understand the history, political economy, and actual corporate history of the of the of the titans we talk about sort of every goddamn day. Mm -hmm. Uh, additionally, you already know what it is. Uh, we got the t-shirts. You heard about them up front. Uh, you're already on the Patreon if you're listening to this. So, uh, thank you for being here. And, uh, secondly, you know, the stream times, it's nine to 11 PM British time, uh, on twitch.tv slash trash future podcast. And on the 18th, we are going to have our St. Brendan's day debate where a team of Brendan O'Neill's will face off against their arch enemy, a team of other Brendan O'Neill's, moderated by the only neutral party we could find, Brendan O'Neill. Yes. So uh, if you ever wanted to the hear... Stream, the stream days are Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Yes, of course. I always forget one detail of the housekeeping yeah. towards the end. Mm -hmm. So, um, also, you know, don't forget, listen to Hell of a Way to Die, listen to Well, There's Your Problem, yep. uh, and I think otherwise... Have a good evening, and we'll see you either on the stream or we'll see you on the free episode on Tuesday. Yep. All right. Good night, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye.